Today's episode of Found Down is brought to you by Unwound Retreats. Unwound Retreats offers fun events and travel experiences for nurses locally and internationally. Founded by me, Nicole Johnson, ICU nurse and host of the Found Down podcast, I provide opportunities for nurses to practice self-care, learn, and travel together. These last two years have been brutal in healthcare, and why not give yourself the gift to unwind, learn, and grow? Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unwound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Hey, this is Nicole. I just want to say what an exciting time this is for us in healthcare. I have loved seeing everybody's pictures and photos of getting the vaccine. It is certainly a light of hope. Today's episode, I'm so excited. We're going to be talking to Christina Kim and and we will be debunking this and we'll talk a lot about the vaccine. But as we embark on this holiday season, if you celebrate, don't celebrate. Happy Hanukkah or Merry Christmas. Um... Man, I just want to say I'm thinking about you and maybe this is a light here uh, as we are about to round out this crazy messed up year we've had. I want to bring up a resource. I do bring it up later in the episode, but if you're struggling out there, please check out emotionalppe.org. They offer free counseling to healthcare workers, so please check it out if you're having a hard time. There's a lot of reasons to have a hard time. Please check out emotionalppe.org. Also, you know, with this light at the end of the tunnel, hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, again, I'm planning some really cool stuff for my business, Unwound Retreats. If you want to stay in the loop with that, go to unwoundretreats.com and sign up for my email list. I've got a retreat in June that I'm planning, and then Hopefully, you'll be planning the Morocco trip as well. So, with no further ado, here's the episode. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Found Down Podcast. This is a podcast of untold nursing stories that are sometimes hilarious, dark, insane, and anything in between. As a warning, this show is rated E and is mature in content. It often deals with the reality of life and death and how we as nurses intersect with that on a regular basis. If we laugh, it's not out of disrespect. We love what we do and have every intention of continuing to do so. With that, enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome to the Found Down Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Johnson, and today I am so excited because I have Christina Kim, Back on the show, you may remember her from a few episodes ago. Christina is a nurse practitioner in outpatient oncology, although she does work with COVID patients, um, which I think is, you give them monoclonal antibodies, um, which we may or may not get to in this episode. But today I'm so excited. We're going to talk about the COVID-19 vaccine. We're going to talk, we're going to debunk some of these myths out there. I'm sure all of you out there have heard them. So I think that'll be it's just an awesome opportunity because, you know, I think the light, the light for us, the, this, the hope really is, um, herd immunity through vaccination. Um, and so we can put COVID behind us, but before we get into any of that, how are you? Uh, you know, pretty good. I think since the last time we talked, it's, um, 
things in some ways have gotten worse as COVID cases are going up everywhere, but in some ways have gotten better because like you said, light at the end of the tunnel with these vaccines, it's the first sign of things really turning a corner. So it's very exciting. I know it is exciting. And I, if you guys out there in podcast land can sense my energy, I'm, I got my, I'm excited because I got my vaccine today and it is, it's a, it's a huge hope. It's a, like, I'm like, what's happening in my, with my immune system right now? Is it, you know, like, did it, am I possibly, I mean, no, it's going to take a while for the antibodies to come on board, but I'm just really excited. And, and I will report, I just have a little site tender centeredness and a, and a mild headache, but that's, you know, that might, that headache might not even be related. So anyway, super excited. Do you want to share the debacle or I, that happened where you are? Yeah. So um, at my hospital in Boston, you know, they set up this sort of self-scheduling system for employees and they kind of relied on employees honor system to only sign up for a spot in their, in their designated wave based on the role that they're in. Uh, and they, it opened up and went live like two nights ago at like 8.30 or something. And immediately the whole system just crashed because probably like 4,000 people just came on and tried scheduling at the same time. And then the next day when they reopened it, the slots were all taken and there was no more shots. It's a little disappointing. I think, um, you know, some really uh, sort of key essential folks, people working in COVID ICUs didn't get a spot. And um, so, you know, I think a lot of the administration is definitely saying like, oh, we messed up guys. But uh, they're, they're assuring us that everybody will be vaccinated by, you know, in less than a month, I guess they're saying. And now- you, you guys will be getting the Pfizer BioNTech? Yeah, it one? looks like right now, because that was the first one approved, that that's what we're expecting for shipments. And um, But I heard that Moderna just got approved tonight, so I'm sure that one will also be, clap, 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 I'm sure that one will also be added to the mix um, as the, you know, sort of supply chain gets sort of uh, up and running for that. I mean, the more the more vaccine, honestly, that we have, the, the better. So yes. that's super exciting. Is there another one? Also, there is, right? There, There's one that was, it's only approved in the UK or it's getting approved in the UK. It's developed by AstraZeneca and Oxford University, but this is a different type of vaccine, um, but still, an, still a, a hopeful candidate, it appears. That's great. That's great. Now, for those of you who didn't listen to Christina last time, you might not know that Christina has a huge TikTok following. I just checked it. You have 227,000 people who are following you. How did that happen? <laughs> because you're a bomb-ass smart woman. <laughs> and you're really funny. So, I mean, I think those two make really good, make a good combo. But a lot of the reason why is because she spends, Christina spends all of this time, her free time, debunking myths, co- combating mistruths, and, you know, calling people out calling people out like covid deniers covid people that say it's a hoax and all that so um that's why i think it's just so special that you're on so myth number one that people talk a lot about or that that gives them pause is that the vaccine was rushed and it isn't safe yeah, this is such a common concern that people have. And, you know, I first want to say if anybody out there is feeling hesitation because of this, I want to validate that because I totally appreciate 
any concern that somebody has when the perception is that a therapeutic is rushed. I mean, I get it. You know, we all want to feel cautious about what we're putting in our bodies. And when something feels like it's been rushed, it can feel less safe. But the reality is that an mRNA vaccine technology has been in the works for a decade, if not longer, by many different companies. And it has actually been in clinical trials for several other diseases, um, but this is indeed the first in-human mRNA vaccine that's been approved by the FDA. So the things that helped expedite it, number one was was necessity, right? Necessity is, um, you know, the, the mother of invention. And there was a need for this. So the government did pour quite a bit of money and money drives everything. So all the money that got poured into this, the fact that mRNA technology was already in existence and the platform was already totally established, um, the fact that we already knew that the spike protein was the thing that we needed to target, we had that knowledge already, um, and uh, the regulatory red tape is really what was expedited. So, mm. you know, I, I'm in clinical trials too, and I see how clinical trials are supposed to be run, and the way that these trials were run, to my eye, were perfect and by the books, and nothing was rushed, and no corners were cut. The only thing that was expedited was truly regulatory red tape, um, but again, from a drug safety and sort of efficacy evaluation standpoint, it all was by the books, really. And the New England Journal of Medicine just actually published their clinical trial of the Pfizer vaccine. So everybody out there can read about it free, you know, just go Google New England Journal of Medicine Pfizer vaccine and you can read about it there. And they had 40,000 participants, 20,000 in the placebo and 20,000 in the non, and it's a randomized controlled trial. So all of the things that you would want out of a good, uh, a good, basically trial, clinical trial. Right. Exactly. You want, you know, the, the, the better data is going to come from bigger studies with more people. And also if it is placebo controlled and randomized, right? Because the more sort of, um, unbiased, the the less bias you have in a study, the more sort of reliable those data are going to be. So everything, again, seemingly by the books, really well-designed study, really diverse sort of group of of participants. Um, And yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to see how they were able to do this. And the other thing I will say about rushing it is, you know, when you are doing a clinical trial and whatever disease you're studying, how fast the trial um, happens also depends on how prevalent that disease is. So COVID is everywhere, right? right? So it's pretty easy for us to see if a drug is going to help or a therapy is going to help prevent or treat this, this COVID because it's everywhere. Um, as opposed to, let's say, like for me, we do a lot of studies in very rare cancers. We may take years to accrue and recruit the number of people we need for a study because we may only see that diagnosis once every two months, Right. When you have as many cases of COVID as we have in this country, it's not hard to gather that data pretty quickly. Right. And and a lot of these participants were exposed, right? So that's right. So they specifically wanted participants who would be in higher risk situations like healthcare workers, essential workers, people who are not going to be quarantined at home for nine months. Those are not going to be the best candidates to test for a vaccine efficacy. Right. And they didn't say stay home in your house and then just live in a little bubble. They were just like, go out and live your life safely with a mask or whatever way you normally would. Just another reason why I think the trial um, is reputable. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. And this mRNA technology, was it first designed based off of the MERS MERS virus? Because the MERS virus, which is the Middle East respiratory virus uh, or Middle East... Respiratory syndrome, syndrome. Right? yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, which is a 
SARS-CoV-2 virus. So basically, like they or isn't it SARS-CoV-2? It's it's in the coronavirus family. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So essentially this is like they were already working on it and so they basically right. just snatched this technology and Exactly. So the MERS um, virus, as well as um, the original SARS, which happened years ago, right? So those were two, also two novel coronaviruses that emerged again in the past however many years. And from those two viruses, scientists were able to see that the spike protein in all of these viruses was an important target for mRNA vaccines, because it is the way that the virus enters our cells. It is the mechanism by which it gets in and infects. So we thought, we, not me, we, I wasn't involved <laughs> in it, but they, I'm not taking credit. They obviously recognized that that was a critical target for our um, antibody, for our bodies to recognize and develop sort of um, basically antibodies too. Just, I am just so grateful that there's a lot of smart people out there <laughs> who are in like virology and immunology. And listen, I have a lot of, res- you know, I used to work and I used to do lab work and that's right. not for me. Not for me, you know, I'm not a lab person, but spent a lot of time in labs, so I get it. And yeah, that kind of work, man, it is meticulous. And um, there are some big brains out there working on this stuff. And it takes a ton of time and investment just to get like to this sort of place, like, you know, just tiny, 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 tiny incremental. I mean, it's taken over 10 years for mRNA vaccine technology to go from its inception to a true inhuman vaccine that's effective. I mean, that's that's incredible. The fact that it's taken this many years, but that we're here. Yeah. Woohoo. I'm mm-hmm. so excited. Okay. Now that we're on the topic of MRNA. So a lot of people think out there that this MRNA vaccine is going to alter my DNA. You know, it, how, can you explain that for people why that is not true? Yes. It's You've done common- it a million times on, the, on TikTok. <laughs> Have I? Yes. And if any of you have watched, maybe with a little bit of attitude sometimes. No, but here I will have no attitude here. I'm just going to explain it. So yeah, for any of you guys remembering from like high school biology, if you recall, um, you know, the sort of um, way that things are supposed to go is DNA is transcribed to RNA. RNA is then translated into a protein. And that's how pretty much our entire existence sort of happens. So um, the DNA is housed in a very highly protected thing called a nuclear envelope, which of course, as you can imagine, the DNA is the code for everything that help, that makes you live. It's going to be protected. That's an important evolutionary sort of development. So things go out, RNA goes out, but things do not easily go in at all. It is highly protected. So um, what this vaccine does is it delivers messenger RNA, which literally is coding for a protein. So once it enters our cells, the cells mechanisms basically take that mRNA and they just say, hey, look at this, I'm going to make this into a protein. And it makes the protein and the protein goes to the cell surface and your body recognizes it. The mRNA is then degraded because mRNA is actually very unstable. It doesn't hang around for a long time. Now the mRNA cannot get into the nucleus. Almost nothing gets into the nucleus. It has zero mechanism to do that. And even if, and this is a big if, even if it entered the nucleus, then it needs additional mechanisms and enzymes to basically integrate itself into DNA, which is an extremely difficult process. So bottom line is it's not scientifically possible. I appreciate people's concern about it, but it ain't going to happen. It's just not how it works. It's just not. No, no. It's Uh, very sci-fi to think that it's not reality. Okay. And then essentially this vaccine though, is it's, it's telling our body to, create an immune response if it ever sees this little spike protein 
right? Like the yeah. Start- so it's it's kind of two types of immune responses that it's going to initiate. One is basically antibody formation, and one is basically telling our B cells, "Hey, remember this, okay? Remember this next time. If you see this again, you know what to do." So it is activating kind of two modalities of our immune. Our immune system has is not is not sort of single layer. It is multi-layered and very complicated and very cool. Yeah. Um, and, but so, you know, what we've seen and what, what I've read is that vaccines like that just inject the antigen itself, vaccines that just inject the protein itself, those are effective. Your body will still see them circulating. But this is the thought is that when a when a protein is presented to the cell surface, instead of just floating around, it creates a more robust response. The, the immune system seems to recognize that in a much more sort of different way, in a much more sort of um, effective way. So some people ask like, why don't you just put the protein in the vaccine instead of the mRNA that codes for the protein? And you know, this is um, seemingly um, a way for the immune response to be a little bit more robust. Great. I know. I'm like, is my, my immune system's working like right now? Yes, my B cell. Told, well, isn't that yeah, right? Isn't that, but isn't that crazy to think like in your body right now, in your little cells, is a little mRNA that's just being churned out into little proteins. Like it's so cool. It's so cool. I'm so excited. So cool. Science. Mm-hmm. I just love it. Yes. Hashtag science. Hashtag for sure. science. Some, some people think that this vaccine was made out of fetal tissue. Common, common misconception. I don't, you know, all of these sort of theories out there, I always wonder what started this, Mm -hmm. but whatever started it, they all flourish. So, and what I also realize is that all of these theories are always based in some like drop of truth, like not truth, but there's some drop of reality in there and they just kind of take a life of their own. So what people refer to is MRC5, which is a cell line that was originally from a 14 week old aborted fetus many decades ago. And what this cell line has been used for over the years is many purposes. So in traditional vaccines, so to speak, you have to basically take a virus and you have to replicate the virus a lot. And then the virus is extracted and the virus is then sort of weakened. And that is often what we use for various, various vaccines, which are basically weakened viral vaccines. But in order to the cell needs a, I'm sorry, the virus needs a host to replicate. The virus isn't going to replicate on its own. So you need cell culture. You need cells in a Petri dish basically to help them grow or in a bottle of some sort. So MRC5 has been used in other vaccines to basically grow the virus that's needed to then become deactivated and weakened to go into a vaccine. Mm. Um, But in this particular vaccine development, it does not require any cell culture to to manufacture it or produce it because it's just basically mRNA produced in a lab. Right. It's not actual, it's not virus. It's not virus. There's no viral pieces in it. They, you know, perhaps along the way, they utilize some sort of cell culture to test the efficacy of the vaccine, probably to see, does this get into the cell effectively? Um, But the, the, the cell fetal cell lines were not utilized in the development, nor are they in the vaccine at all. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to say thank you for s- saying that so articulately. I just, I really appreciate that. Okay. Myth, myth number, whatever we're on. Um, <laughs> this vaccine is going to cause infertility. I've been seeing this one going around. It was like really hot a couple weeks ago. It was the hot topic, wasn't it? A few mm-hmm, weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So again, where did this one come from? I don't know, but the theory behind this, and it is a theory, meaning it is totally theoretical. So somebody happened to look at the sort of 
basically the amino acid sequence or the basically the, the RNA sequence of the mRNA that codes for the, um, uh, the spike protein for SARS-CoV-2 and notice that there was some overlap with a few amino acids with a protein that is involved in the development of the placenta. So somebody then concluded that, oh, this means that the antibodies to this is, are going to then cause infertility or issues with sort of, you know, gestation. So this is completely untrue for a lot of reasons. Proteins are so complicated and they're so much more than just their sequence. You know, protein folding is one of the most mysterious things in the world of science and cell biology and molecular biology is how proteins fold and know how to fold. So basically to say just because there is overlap of a couple of amino acids does absolutely not mean that they are going to have sort of cross reactivity. Additionally, if that theory were to hold, that means that people who get natural COVID infection who develop COVID antibodies would also experience tons of sterility. And with the bazillions of cases we have in the US and the world, we haven't been seeing pervasive amounts of sterility. Right. So that theory just absolutely does not hold on every level. Well, thank you. Thank you again. I really appreciate that. I was going to say, well, I'm I'm not, <laughs> I don't think I will be having a baby anytime soon, but I, um, I do appreciate that though. Cause I know a lot of people yeah. out there have their concerns, which you got, you pointed out in the very beginning of this episode is that, you know, if anyone's feeling uncomfortable about getting a vaccine, essentially, we're not going to say like, you have to get it. You need to get it. Just, you ha- honestly have to do what's right for you. Do research out there. Um, and it, you know, if you having, if you're having issues with getting it, um, Mm-hmm. We're not trying to push you to do it. We're just trying to talk about, I get facts. Basically, yeah. Basically, I agree. I think that there's a lot of folks, understandably, who are wary about this. You know, my hope is that by presenting like actual data and actual facts, that we can sort of reassure folks that some of these conspiracy theories out there are really just theories, and they aren't going, they aren't proven to be true at all. Yeah, yeah. Just a lot of stuff floating around for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is a good one. Um, I've already had COVID, so I don't need the vaccine. Yeah, this one's really common, I find. So the tricky thing is, and we've known this from early on, one of the things you need to know when it comes to any novel infection is how long is somebody sort of immune for, so to speak. And studies have been variable, but it it seems like people who are infected can have basically immunity for a couple months to um, more than a couple months. So basically it's, it's a wide range. And we're also seeming to, seeming to find that there's a relationship perhaps with how much viral load you were exposed to. Were you asymptomatic, mildly symptomatic, or severely ill? And that too may influence your own immune response and how long you may essentially be protected for. So because of that, that variability, there, they, we are, it is still recommended that people get vaccinated even if they've had a previous infection because there is no guarantee that you won't get infected again. And also there have been case reports of people getting reinfected with COVID again. So it can happen. And the interesting thing I think is with this, this vaccine, I think I heard this. I don't think I can quote where it's from, but the amount of antibodies that you have to this virus are way higher than you would if you've had just a regular COVID-19 infection. Have you heard that? Yes. Yes. Because, um, so part of the issue is kind of what I, what I refer to, which is that when you get a natural infection, your immune response can be so variable based on a number of factors, right? But when you are given a sort of standardized dose 
of a within a vaccine, the response can be a little bit more predictable. Of course, there's variation from person to person, but at least the dose that you are given, so to speak, is consistent. So there is an expected amount of immune response that you're going to have. Um, so you eliminate that variability of how much virus were you exposed to if you had a natural infection, we can standardize that. So that's one really important, helpful piece of having a vaccine. Mm. The flu vaccine will cover me from COVID-19. That's another one that is out there. Yeah. Um, nope. Yeah, I think, is- right. <laughs> I know. I think most of us right. in the medical community know that that's not true. I think that's probably right. more lay people or... Sure. Yeah. But just... So, nope. you know, thinking about sort of... Um, so I think a lot of people may think that because the symptoms for flu and COVID are kind of similar, right? So perhaps I can understand how somebody would assume that a flu vaccine will protect from COVID, but it won't for a lot of reasons, but primarily because they're just two different viruses. Not only are they two different viruses, they're in two totally different families of viruses. So they are just different. You know, you can't say, um, you know, get a, uh, a measles vaccine and expect it's going to protect you from chickenpox because they're two totally different bugs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so unfortunately, no, flu vaccines are important. Please get your flu vaccines, yes. everybody, because flu is still a very sort of um, significant source of morbidity and mortality in this country, in the world. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, it will not protect from the COVID infection. Great. Well stated. Mm, this has come up. More people die of the negative side effects of the vaccine than the virus. I feel like you have to pull out the Christina NP from TikTok. So <laughs> more people seem okay. So this is just patently false, right? right I mean, right. when we look at the number of COVID deaths that we've had, um, it far out outseeds. I, I super. I, I mean. Yeah, anything. I right, mean, I know we have three hundred. Right, in a short period of time, relatively. Right, I mean, yeah, the COVID vaccine, um, as far as we can see from the studies that the data that we can see is that any deaths that occurred were not related to the vaccine itself. And the thing about clinical trials is that any event that occurs, uh, whether it's a side effect that's reported or a serious adverse event like uh, hospitalization or a death, they have to be reported as part of the data for the trial. Mm -hmm. Now, can you draw a conclusion of causation and say it was caused? No, you can't. You really can't in a lot of ways. Um, And these individuals, as far as I understand, who did die on the trial, they died of other conditions that were not related to COVID. Um, You know, when you have 40,000 people in a study, you are bound to have people just die, right? Normal just die. And they have their normal health issues that Mm -hmm. don't just stop because you're on a clinical trial. Right. Maybe they get hit by a car and that's, you know, just whatever, something happens and then it takes them out. Yeah. Right. (laughs) This is such a funny one. (laughs) Um, this was developed to control us and implant a microchip. Mm. This one, I think the source of this was some like audio clip of Bill Gates from years ago who made some comment about maybe population control or something and somebody just ran with it. So, um, you know, I, I can't prove that the syringe of vaccine does not contain a microchip in it but it doesn't. I mean, it's just, right? Like I I can't look at a syringe and say, no, there's no microchip in there. All I can say is that it is, um, it's really just a a kind of a ridiculous theory. I mean, 
Mm-hmm. Not to mention our cell phones all have microchips in them. I know. We're all, we're all being tracked all the time. I know we are. Everything. Yeah, everything. So- if anyone's on Facebook... That theory, so some of the conspiracy theories and the myths to me are in some ways valid because they're based in some concern about science or some sort of limited understanding about how biology works. Mm -hmm. And I totally get that. But theories like this, to me, are really just coming from a place of paranoia. um, And because you you can't just, you know, I said this in a post recently, like you can't fight delusion with logic, you know, when, uh, when someone's sort of belief is truly delusional, you really can't combat that. So all I can say is, no, there's no microchip in this vaccine. Here, we can we can take a minute and we can talk to... Uh, oh, yeah. Hey. Bill Gates. Hey, Bill. Hey, Bill. Oh, hello. Hi. <laughs> I was pointing my... Um, where I got vaccinated into the microphone. Mm. So this is actually... This is more based in truth, this, this thought. And that is, I don't need to wear a mask when I'm after I'm vaccinated. Yeah. So this is a common thought. And I think it goes along the vein of I've been infected already, so I don't need to wear a mask. Right. So going back to what we talked about earlier in the, in that we don't really know with natural infection, we don't know the duration of sort of protection, even with the vaccine, we don't know the duration, right? Because Mm -hmm. The preliminary data, of course, showed efficacy to prevent, lower the risk of getting a COVID infection. But at this point, you know, these folks are still going to be followed for months on out, if not longer on this study. So we can understand that data about how long they maintain immunity for, but we don't know that yet. Mm -hmm. So for that reason, it's important to still wear a mask. Additionally, you know, we... um, are not all getting vaccinated at the same time on the same day and not everyone in the country is going to be willing to get vaccinated. So that means they're still going to be, you know, without an appropriate level of sort of herd immunity, as they say, through vaccination, we, um, we may not be able to sort of eliminate or lower the, lower the community transmission enough to the point where it's manageable. And that worries me. Mm -hmm. Um, But also the other thing is that so far as, as far as we can see this, the only thing we've seen from the studies is that this vaccine lowers the risk of infection and lowers the risk of you getting infected and you possibly getting severe illness is what some of the data suggests. What it may, what we don't know yet is if the vaccine reduces the risk of transmission, right? So that's a whole different thing. You, you, it, all we know is because the studies look for symptomatic COVID infection. Mm-hmm. So could it be that a large number of those folks on the vaccine maybe got exposed, maybe got infected, but weren't symptomatic, and maybe were still asymptomatic and spreading virus, but not knowing it. If they hadn't had the vaccine, perhaps they would have developed symptoms. Very similar to what we know about flu vaccines, where flu vaccines, of course, are not 100% efficacious at stopping flu infection. We know, though, when you get the flu with the flu vaccine, your severity of illness is much less Mm -hmm. and shorter in duration, right? So that's the piece that's really unclear is we know it lowers the risk of infection at symptomatic COVID, but we don't know how much it reduces the risk of asymptomatic COVID and therefore reduces the risk of transmission to others. So masks are still important Yeah, we just, for now. We don't know if we can be a vector. That's and it. So we don't know. I'm not going to see my parents until they've gotten vaccinated yep. because, you know, I could, they're elderly and sorry, dad, I know you might be listening. <laughs> I don't <laughs> consider you elderly, but... Um, let's just say they're high risk. They're high risk. So high risk, but I, because of my fear about, I don't know if if I could carry it. So we just won't get together until we both have antibodies. 
I think that's the right, I mean, as hard as that is, that's the tactic that I'm taking too. Yeah. I mean, and it, what is it like 10 days after the second dose, they think that you'll have antibodies. Yeah. So they think after even 12 days after the first dose that you start developing antibodies and that after the first dose, they saw 52% efficacy. So you still get benefit from just one dose, which is great. (laughs) Of course, of course, the second dose is critical to get to that 95% efficacy they saw in the study. So I'm hoping everybody will come back for their second dose. Um, but yeah, you still get some protection from just the first dose, which is awesome. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I want to go back to a topic you just touched on, which is herd immunity through vaccination versus herd immunity through natural immunity. And so there are some people out there that just want to say, let's just get through herd immunity through natural immunity. Can you talk about why that is problematic? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm not an epidemiologist, but I have had many, many conversations with, um, epidemiologist Kat, who's another awesome person on TikTok, who I chat with frequently, actually. And she's helped me understand this concept. So, you know, herd immunity as a concept was really developed around vaccinations and not herd immunity from illness is not the way herd immunity was developed as a concept. Ah. Um, You know, and um, the issue is that herd immunity, the threshold by which you need varies from pathogen to pathogen. It depends how infectious that pathogen is. It sounds like estimates for SARS-CoV-2 is about 70% we need. So the the issue, so there was something called the Great Barrington Declaration. I don't know if you've heard of this. It Mm-mm. came out a couple months ago. It was published by supposedly a group of um, scientists and infectious disease doctors and epidemiologists from various institutions across the world that basically were promoting the idea of herd immunity through infection to get economies back you know, on board. And this has been completely sort of dismissed by the medical community as a whole because Number one, herd immunity, attempting herd immunity by infection is unethical when it comes to a virus like this, because the amount of death and overburdening the the healthcare system more than we already are, and the amount of morbidity, meaning sort of just illness and sort of long-term issues it causes, if not death, um, is just, is the magnitude of that is too much, um, too much of a risk to accept. As a, as a tactic. And then you look at Sweden and Sweden is the perfect example of how they attempted that and it failed. You know, now this many months in, they are now seeing that it has not worked, that they have not been able to keep their deaths down or the number of cases down to any reasonable level. And they clearly have not achieved a level of immunity population wise where it's, where it's, um, where it's sort of, you know, not a problem. Right. The other issue again, is that immunity doesn't last long. So let's say you got infected last February and I get infected today, your infection likely, you do not have, you do not have antibodies for that today. So you can get infected again. So then we're on this kind of rolling, you know, schedule of people getting reinfected and we never sort of get everybody kind of immune at the same time. So I think the bottom line is herd immunity by infection is not realistic for a number of reasons, but primarily because it's unethical, too many people will die and get sick and our hospital system will literally collapse. I mean, right now we are (laughs) across the nation overwhelmed. We have no icy beds in several states. We, I mean, and I don't know what percentage of the population has had COVID yet. Uh, 5%? I'm not sure. I don't actually know. I I don't know the number at all. I don't know the the math. I mean, but three, over 300,000 people have died. And the, and like you said, the morbidity, uh, 
related to COVID is very severe. You know, you might live through it, if but you might end up on a vent. You might you might you might end up with a trach. You might end up being totally physically debilitated and not have the same quality of life that you had pre-COVID. There's not be co- able to work. Yeah, COVID long hauler syndrome. You know, people I'm not trying to scare people out there, but you everybody out there knows that people can just randomly drop dead with the PE. Mm-hmm. after having COVID, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. So, yep. yeah, I think, um, it's just not, I think on paper, I can see how people would think that makes sense. You know, that sure. Just get everyone infected, especially these young, healthy people who likely aren't going to have complications. Yeah. Um, but when you talk on a population level of a country of 330 million people, that's a big number even if it's a small percentage of people who would get seriously ill that are young, that is still too big of a number for our hospital system to maintain and manage. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not possible and it's not ethical. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would be at least what 3 million people would have to die. Not okay. That's not okay. I was thinking about disease eradication and how we as a nation have been able to basically eradicate polio and like i mean well measles had an outbreak a little while ago <laughs> yeah we, <laughs> we were doing okay with measles for a I while know. but um so this the idea of vaccination for covid i think is really hopeful i mean again i don't know if we could eradicate it because of people's maybe some people's unwillingness uh to get the vaccine or just the way that it's spreading from people. And we don't know yet exactly how it works related to the vaccination and stuff. But I think right now it's, it's the right move. But if you're not feeling, if you're feeling, Oh, one thing I wanted to talk about is who shouldn't get the vaccine. And I think this is important. Do you, do you feel comfortable answering that? Yeah. So um, it seems like, it seems like right now, the only group of people where it's, not being recommended is my understanding are people who have a history of severe allergic reactions to things severe, like the kind of person who has to carry two EpiPens with them everywhere they go. Um, even though, you know, other populations of concern are pregnant or breastfeeding uh, women. And even though those populations weren't included in the clinical trials as they often are not, yeah. um, the extrapolation from the data is, and the sort of weighing the risk and a benefit, the benefit, these professional organizations have come out and said, no, that the benefit sort of outweighs the risk to these, this population. So I think really the only population at this point that should not get the vaccine are either kids just because they're not studied in kids yet, um, or people with a history of severe allergic reactions. Okay. It's good to know. Good to know. Yeah. If you got your EpiPen on you, don't get the vaccine. At least for now, I think until more data comes out that helps us figure out sort of how to safely give the vaccine to this population. Yeah. I think as of now, it sounds like it's not um, strongly recommended for that population okay. to get the vaccine. I appreciate that. Um, today, when I was getting my vaccine, I, I felt really supported by, you know, because I knew everybody that was working and felt very safe and they had you know, a code card just off the way, just in case, God forbid, something happened. Nothing has happened so far. Everybody, everybody's done fine. But so you mean no one's turned into a zombie yet? <laughs> Is that what you mean? Yes. That you know of. That you know of. <laughs> that I know of. Oh, man. I better talk. Make, 
make sure Rob knows um, what to look out for. But, um, I mean, I don't know. I guess, I don't know, I got maybe Satan's DNA in me now, or who knows what. I don't know what. I don't know what I'm going to turn into. But You're going to turn into an immune person. I am? That's what you will turn into. It means that if I get exposed to COVID, I'm not going to have a severe infection. Oh, my goodness. That's exactly right. That's what you get. That's what I get. And that's, that's it. amazing. I'm yes. just going to tell you, I mean, as a, someone who's been working with COVID patients off and on since March, the idea that I might have, be able to go into a room and feel less scared, have less anxiety and like, you know, like that's amazing. That's just like, it's what we need right now. It is like PPE times a million. I it know. It is the best PPE we could have, you know? I know it is. Absolutely. It yeah. absolutely is. So something you said earlier made me think when you said eradication about, you know, COVID, because I think one other piece that we don't yet know is if there's going to be seasonality with this virus, you know, um, similar to the flu. And again, flu we know about because we've studied this for decades and decades. The predictions we have are pretty darn spot on for kind of seasonality. But, you know, it is I think some folks are predicting that we'll need booster shots mm-hmm. of this vaccine, mm-hmm. you know, like once we understand what the long term sort of immunity looks like. So um you know, will COVID be eradicated? I don't know, but will it, will it be under control to the point where we know how to sort of prevent it, manage it, treat it and predict its seasonality if there is any? Yeah, I think we are going to get there. This is a random question to ask you. You may or may not know the answer to this. Do you know if there's any seasonality with the MERS or the SARS? SARS? It doesn't, as far as I know, so SARS is now, as far as I know, part of... I think now they may both be sort of part of our normal, you know, I'm not sure actually to tell you the truth. I thought I read that one or both of them are now part of our sort of usual kind of cluster of viruses that we get exposed to, but um, but I have to look back and see. I'm not sure. Okay. Thank you for just going with the on the fly question. Of course. If people want to learn well, actually, let me just back up. Where are your, what are your go-to sites for information gathering? Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't like to get my scientific information from the media, but I will say that I think the New York Times and the Washington Post have done some really sort of thoughtful pieces in layman's terms that seem to have accuracy science-wise. So I think from a media standpoint, those to me are very good sources. Um, I would say, you know, just go straight to the medical journals, but I always add the caveat that, you know, they, these are not written for the lay person audience in mind and they're complicated concepts sometimes. So I would caution folks if they choose to go to actual medical journal websites to just be cautious about what you're reading and recognize that they were not designed for lay people interpretation. Um, and then, yeah, there's so many sort of folks on social media that are just well-educated and really sort of great science communicators on Instagram. I found a bunch recently um, that um, seem to provide some really valid data, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. If I have any other questions. Ooh, this is a question. This is more of an opinion piece for you. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Why do you think it's important for us in healthcare to publicly support this vaccine? Yeah, I think so many reasons. Um, I'm going to start course, crying. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Because I mean, of course, the first and foremost thing is that if healthcare workers are are basically committing our careers and our lives to care for these ill people, um, 
and putting our lives and our safety and our health at risk, I mean, that of course should be the number one reason why healthcare workers choose to get this vaccine so that we can continue to, to advocate for our patients and treat them and care for them. Mm -hmm. But more than that, I think given all of these theories we talked about today, these conspiracy theories, the public distrust that exists in this process so far, the public distrust um, in, in this entire sort of pandemic from the start, I think if healthcare providers and healthcare workers are able to be vocal about the safety of this vaccine, that we are not afraid of these sort of conspiracy theories, that yes, there's no such thing as a 100% safe treatment at all, but that the benefits far outweigh the risks, I think that sends such a strong and important message to other healthcare, other healthcare workers and to the public, you know? Um, so I, I always think back to like March, you know, when there was this is this campaign for like healthcare heroes and clapping at 7 p.m. every night and and that that dissipated, you know, mm -hmm. and I worry about the morale of healthcare workers on the whole in this country and and truly some of what I'm going to define as PTSD that may occur as a result of all the suffering we witnessed. Um, I hope that healthcare workers can be seen as heroes again mm. by being the first to take this vaccine publicly, by being the first to show the American public that like, no, this is the right thing to do and this is safe. You know, we are committing and sacrificing our lives to care for these people and we want to make sure we're doing it right. So I hope that's the message people get from that. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's like our civic duty and it's like our, almost our patriotic duty. If you think about, if we're trying to bring this country back together. And, mm -hmm. it, and it's interesting the way that folks out there who are very patriotic, you know, are maybe also anti-vax, at least anti-COVID vaccination. So, mm -hmm. but I just think it's, it's, um, it's an interesting stance to take, but I think it is our, I think it's our civic duty as healthcare workers to. I agree with that. Get vaccinated. Yeah, I think to get vaccinated and to be part of the solution and part of the part of the path to getting past this pandemic and not being part of the reason why the pandemic continues, you know, and we're not, I don't want to be, I don't want us to be seen as perpetuating the problem. Right. We need to be the solution. A good friend of mine's who's a nurse, Laura, who's, she's one of my best friends at work, but someone asked her the other day, like if, you know, if she's having, if she wasn't, but it was like, if she was having issue with the vaccine as a healthcare worker, imagine the public, imagine the public's ability to trust and want to take this vaccine. So I think it's super important that we are very forward facing with our choice to get vaccinated. Caveat, if you're having issues, if you don't, you know, just get it when you feel like the time is right, do your research out there. Um, if you want to wait until more people get vaccinated to kind of soothe your uncomfortability, you know, do what's right for you. But for those who are really excited, this is our moment to shine. Totally agree. The totally agree. This is a huge opportunity for healthcare workers on the whole to um, really show the public that, you know, we, this is this, this is the transition point, you know, we're turning a corner here and we want to be part of that and sort of leading the way for that to happen. One last thing I want to say is I think the real heroes of this pandemic are probably the virologists and the immunologists and the vaccine volunteers, you know, they've been paving the way for our future. We have been working at the bedside to keep people safe. And, you know, that's been our job, but 
these people are forward thinking and thinking about getting us back to a place or to where maybe we can live life and normally again. So, um, anyway, we're, we're all, we're all, all of us are doing our part. Um, but special shout out to anybody who was <laughs> working on the vaccine or is in immunology, virology, and anybody who's a, a, definitely a vaccine trial participant. So totally. Yeah. Cause they're, those are all volunteers. I know. 40,000 people for that. I don't know how many people for Moderna. It's about the same. And then, well, was AstraZeneca, that's over, how many do we Uh, know? I don't know. I don't actually know the data from that that study so far. Yeah. So 80,000 people in America, essentially, right? Right. Or or was it? Half half of, uh, it was, was um, I think it was multinational study. Oh, that's right. So 40,000 got vaccine doses yeah somewhere around the world so that's the part that makes me feel good about the vaccine is we're not the first ones to get it this vaccine has been administered to tens of thousands of people already i know we're not guinea pigs i mean not that i would ever hate to say that but like that is the truth that is the actual truth there have been forty thousand people who've already received it so Mm -hmm. man do you have any speculation of like how many healthcare workers are gonna get the vaccine in the coming weeks i hope it is a large number you know mm-hmm. um i think it just all depends on supply yeah so i'm sure those mm, where are those factories are just cranking them out you oh, know yeah. but i think uh, if there's any if it's anything like my hospital demand people are just chomping at the bit yes. chomping at the bit yes. to get it done which i hope people are seeing as okay maybe i can trust this because it caused the entire system to crash for my hospital system. <laughs> oh my God. I know everyone was like, give me the vaccine. I want it, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. Any closing thoughts at all? Oh, no, I think just, oh, oh. oh I just want to say this is going to come out on Monday. So the 21st, mm-hmm. which is the equinox, but also yeah. it's the week, you know, before Christmas and not everybody obviously listens to the show is it celebrates Christmas, but it's a holiday season. Any, any just sort of thoughts for next week or the holidays? Yeah. In light of COVID, you mean? Yeah. Or in in general, or in general. I mean, you You know, I think the holidays this year, in my opinion, are just different. You know, uh, I said this for Thanksgiving and I'll say it for Christmas as much as we all want to be with our loved ones. Um, and celebrate together, you know, I think this may be the year where we may have to just choose to do it remotely. Again, I want everybody to feel like they're part of the solution and not perpetuating the problem. You know, I think we this vaccine is our opportunity to start turning things around. And I hope that everyone feels sort of a sense of ownership to be a part of that. And if that means sacrificing spending Christmas with your loved ones or New Year's at a big party, then I think that's a sacrifice we have to make, like you said, to me is a patriotic and civic duty to do mm-hmm. for our country and mm-hmm. for the well-being of our, you know, fellow citizens. Yeah. This is zoom holidays, man. I did a That's zoom a, Thanksgiving. It'll be a very zoomy Christmas. Same. My four-year-old had a zoom birthday party yesterday. Oh, really? He did, yeah. Happy birthday. So yeah, see? And that's all we can do is just, um, and the, but the way I'm seeing it too is like, this is just one year, hopefully out of our lives that is sacrificed and that next year I'm optimistic, fingers crossed, that we'll have a normal Thanksgiving and a normal Hanukkah and a normal New Year's, I hope. Yes, yes. I am also hopeful for that as well. I, am, I had a thought and now it's gone, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Maybe it'll come back. No. Then... You know what? It went into your microchip. It did. Oh, my God. It did. <laughs> Just tap it. Just tap it twice. Just go beep, hey. beep, and it'll come back. Can we do memory recall? Disclaimer, this is a joke. This is a joke. This is a joke. I'll link up um, some of the resources we talked about on the show. And, um, oh, damn it. I remember I was going to say this a long time ago. I wanted to mention it in this episode. Is There's a great resource out there called Emotional PPE. And it's, I don't know if you've heard of it, but um, it's a nonprofit organization that provides free mental health counseling to healthcare workers. Oh, I love that. So if anyone's struggling right now, you definitely check out Emotional PPE. Um, I think it's emotionalppe.org. I'm looking at the website right now. Really? That's yes, awesome. because I'm so interested in this. Wow. Um, yeah. So if this is just, you know, it's been a really difficult. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. We are sacrificing this year so that we will be there next year. We want everybody to be there and be alive and be in good health next year. So yes. stay safe. That's it. Stay safe. And Let's stay try safe. to have the long, the long game here. I know, you know it is. a It's a long-term game. I mean, look, we've survived 10 months. Amazing. Right? Which has been the slowest and the fastest 10 months. I was just saying that today. <laughs> it's just crazy. It's just crazy. crazy. But um, yeah, we need to stay safe so we can see everybody we love and care about in the future. And again, Christina, once we have maybe immunity, maybe we can have a beer sometime. Oh, yeah. Or have, a, love- have a tea. Have a tea. Have a That's tea. That's it. That's okay. it. Fly, fly cross country. I love that. Yep. Um, okay. Well, everybody out there in podcast land, thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Christina. You can follow Christina on on. Instagram and on TikTok at Christina Seven A's NP. She's super awesome. Has super funny content and always, always super informational. So I appreciate you spending time with me on this Friday night. Thank you for inviting me. So great. Okay. All right. Well, you have a really good night. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave an honest review on whatever platform you're listening. Also, feel free to share this with your nursing colleagues. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at founddownpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send in any stories. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Also, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at founddownpodcast. We'll see you on the next one.